Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Miss these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Look deep into nature, and then you will understand everything better. Albert Einstein. I have one of the neighbors by the cabin is the one who drove me to the top of Carver's Gap. So he drove me up there, dropped me off. Okay. And he was going to pick me up in two days down on, on Highway 19E. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I started hiking and I had a goal that I'm going to go nine miles today. Because I, I did the math that, okay, for me to end up at 19E, had to do this. I was not ready for that. And there are two mountains in the Roan Mountain range that are pretty well known to AT hikers. And that's the, uh, it's Big Hump and Little Hump Mountain. And Little Hump actually is the one that kicks everyone's butt. And I remember I was at the base of this mountain and I think I'm now five miles. So I had made it five miles. But the most painful five miles I've ever done in my life, backpack is swinging all around, 75 pounds. I had to lean my backpack on a rock to even get it off. And I hated taking it off because that means I had to put it back on. And so I'm at about five and a half miles ready to quit. I, literally, I was like, what the hell am I doing out here? I'm not a hiker. I didn't, at this point, didn't even see any other people. 
I mean, I'm up there by myself. It's like, wait, I'm not trying to be a through hiker. I, I wanted to meet people along the way. So then I realized standing there in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, I'm just going to go home. And it's like, I can't go home because I'm going to have to hike five more miles backwards. My ride is not there. I have no self service up there. And so I'm standing there and it's like, okay, well, maybe I just pitch my tent here. I do. I didn't know what to do. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back for another episode of the John Freaking Muir Pod. For those of you who are new to the pod, I'm Doc and I'm your host. Before we get too far down the trail, I want to give you a quick update on listenership. We now have people tuning in from 34 countries, 47 states, and the District of Columbia. And hey, if you've got friends or family in Alabama, Maine, or Wyoming, reach out and get them to tune in. And you know what? We've got a great guest for this week's episode. Joining us today is Glenn Schweitzer, a designer and filmmaker who hails from Tennessee. He is currently in the throes of creating a documentary about the Appalachian Trail, and it's a bit different from other documentaries about the AT that I've seen. I don't want to steal any of Glenn's thunder, so I'll let him explain the specifics on his documentary, uh, which is named Trail Mix. Welcome to the pod, Glenn. Thanks, Doc. Great to be here. So do you want to go through a little background of how we originally connected and how I got you here on the pod? Yeah, actually, you know, how we originally met, it was through one of my cousins, as I understand. Uh-huh. And you did, you were doing sections on the John Muir. Correct. So I'm not sure how I got into that conversation, but um, that's pretty sweet because I, as close as I am to my cousins, I don't think we ever... It's not like we ever sat down and talked about hiking. And to be honest, it's, it was fairly new to me anyway. So, uh, but I immediately found your pod, can I say podcast, your pod. And it was sweet. Cause you know, when you're excited in the beginning and you just kind of go all out and I'm looking for every book I could find, I was looking for podcasts and it was fun to listen to yours because as we get, when we talk about the film, one of the, th- the things I was going to do in the film was I was so intrigued by all trails by um, I wanted to do a movie about anybody who hiked all these trails. And 
I quickly learned that it can't be about that, that I was, I needed to be more specific about a certain trail. And so, you know, the John Muir is much of a dream as that is of mine to go on that because it's like the perfect length and it's, that's my country up there. I love the, those mountains and the smell of those pines. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, and anyway, it was kind of cool when it all came about when, you know, through the cousin. So, that's right. And for our, our regular listeners, you'll be happy to know that Glenn is the cousin-in-law of regular uh, contributor to the pod, Chopper. This is Chopper's cousin-in-law. <laughs> I love it. Chopper. I don't even know how he got that trail name, but that's funny. So he got that trail name because he was, he was uh, evacuated out by helicopter because of al- altitude sickness on one of our hikes. That's right. I did. Okay. <laughs> Very funny. I love that. <laughs> He truly earned that nickname. <laughs> I love it when you do earn your name because I've met a few people that still I scratch my head when I see them and I can't even think about their name. <laughs> One of them is named Mooney, this girl who actually was, it was on the Smoky Mountains and apparently at one night on a full moon, she dropped her pants and hung a moon at the moon. And so everybody huh. gave her the name Mooney at that point. So That name's going to stick. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> So you've listened to the pod before. You know that we've got a feature that we call Pro Tip Inside of the Week. Just going to give you a heads up that when we get to the end of our episode here tonight, I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to ask, Glenn, what is your Pro Tip Insight of the Week? What can you share with our listeners that will help make their next adventure a little more enjoyable or memorable? And it has to kind of stem from our our, our free flow of conversation during the episode. Okay. Ready for that? Don't be surprised. Okay. Okay. All right. So, hey, before we get to your film, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, uh, your upbringing, uh, how you got involved with with hiking or filmmaking or designing. Uh, just kind of take us through a, a kind of a thumbnail sketch of, of how you got to be what, where you are and what you're doing. Okay. So originally born and raised in San Fernando Valley in California, just outside of Los Angeles. But what kind of, of this, what, I'm sorry to interrupt already. What part of San Fernando Valley? So at that, when I grew up, it was called Sepulveda. Okay. And I understand now it's West Hills. Okay. North Hill. I'm not sure it's changed its name, but it's just outside of Northridge and which was real close to my cousins. And, and that was fun. So, um, and what year did you graduate high school and where'd you go? I, you don't want to know that. I went to Monroe, James Monroe high school uh-huh. class of 80. So yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, I'm old, man. It just kind of crept up on me pretty quick. So I, and that's I'm, what's even funnier to be able to do what I'm doing. I wish I would have found this 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, but it didn't really stop me. In fact, it's kind of transformed into different things. But yeah, I think uh, class of 80. Ooh, nice. Monroe Vikings. That's right. So growing up with a single mom, got one brother. And you know, the, the thing I always talk about when when I finally did find the mountains, when I found the trails, I had never really been out to the mountains. Um, I did not even really explore or go skiing until I became really once I got a car, you know, now it's with my buddies, but you kind of grow up at a time of life when, you know, we just didn't have any money. We couldn't go on vacations. We didn't do anything, you know, in California, you're surrounded by everything, but we, we went to the beach more than anything. So I had never even car camped. You know, and, um, but that was 
kind of my journey there, but I kind of studied architecture at high school, had this big dream that I was going to become a set designer at Disney Studios in Burbank and uh, followed through with that. I actually got a job in the mailroom and kind of decided to uh, meet the people in that department. And I just, I was over in that department every single day. And I was in line to become the next apprentice blueprinter. You know, this is before computers too. So, and what had happened, I was working my way with high hopes that this is going to turn out. And one Black Friday, they laid the whole department off. And I did not finish college. I was going to Pierce College in, I think it's Woodland Hills. Mm-hmm. And um, had to make a decision. Do I go back to school? I, I didn't know what to do. And so Disney, working there, it's, it is probably one of the best experiences that I ever had. It was the equivalent of family meets um, working on a movie set that it was just fun. And at that time, my mom was working there. So my mom retired from there. She actually worked, uh, she knew Walt Disney's daughter. You know, he, she got to meet Walt and mm-hmm. she's got fun stories. And um, I just decided to stick it out. And so I, I was ignorant enough at the age of 19 that I, I went into every vice president's office and said, hey, got any openings? And my portfolio sucked because I never really took an art class. I was very technical. And, um, but I was confident. I just, for some reason, I just felt that, Hey, I can do this. And the Disney channel had just started and it was Disney channel in the home video department. And I went into this office, this guy, Richard Freed and introduced myself and said, Hey, got any openings? I did my little thing. And he looked at me and said, yeah, I think we got something for you. So I worked in the home video department as a project coordinator. So I worked between all the ad agencies that Disney would use and the marketing department quickly learned that it's like, Oh, I kind of like design better than architecture. So mm-hmm. uh, Disney was kind enough. The, the, the department, they actually sent me, I don't want to say sent me. I, they accepted the concept that I will take night classes at art center in Pasadena and they were going to reimburse me if I'd get a B or better in every class because I wanted to be a designer now. It's like, heck, you're hiring out all these to this, these agencies out there. I can do it in-house. So I did that. And after I finished, they hired me as a young designer and I was there five more years and became a senior designer and then ended up leaving to, went to a big agency after that. And then uh, started my own business and then moved to, I'll just try to go fast on it, but it, we ended up living and moved to Nashville, Tennessee and this would have been 26 years ago. So music, country music was at its peak at that point. Mm-hmm. And what's funny about that is I did not like country music. But it, there are some artists that I really dug. And I realized that when you meet these artists, then you kind of like their music. Yeah. yeah. And there was one artist in particular that was brand new. And he kind of had, he really liked what I was doing. So I was designing his t-shirts and all swag. And he ended up becoming this, it was an artist named Tim McGraw and um, designed, God, I still designed for him after 26 years. I've designed most of his albums and because of his work, I ended up doing his labels, all of their design work and then kind of exploded. So I was doing design for about 20 years 
and became friends with so many independent artists and even a group like one called Lady Antebellum. Um, mm-hmm. Met them. I knew Hillary when they first started. They didn't have a record deal. And so I did their first photo shoot and did their music video and designed their logo. And then they got a record deal. And then it kind of started spreading. That's like, I just started doing more music videos and I started doing more photography and kind of getting into it. And it wasn't until I I did about 300 music videos. No, I take that back. I designed 400 albums, but I designed, I think it was about, or shot about 120 music videos. And I think after working on the music videos, there was so much pressure in that with the record labels. And I had to provide catering and all that. And I was so gorilla. Every music video I shot by myself or maybe one other person. I did my own lighting and, and, I'll, and I kind of figured out that I like doing behind the scenes of the music videos better. So I learned that this is like a documentary. I got really deep into documentaries. And then I started bringing that into the behind the scenes of music videos, telling mm-hmm. the story, interviewing the director and the songwriter and the artist. And, and then they were being used on uh, people.com and for just these short little pieces. And it's like, all right, that's cool. And that, anyway, that's what kind of opened the door for my love of documentaries was really storytelling. It's, I just wanted to tell the story about the song and where it came from. Yeah. And this, we can trace this all back to that 19 year old Glenn Schweitzer who was unafraid and went to every vice president's office and said, Hey, I'm Glenn. Got any jobs, got any openings? And just that confidence and that, uh, that that naive na- naivete uh yeah. got you to where you are right now that's that's fantastic well thanks yeah that was you know you look back at when you're younger it's like i actually did that you know it's, <laughs> hell i don't like talking in a group of you know in a room full of people let alone zoom calls and it's you know but it's i don't know when your passion is 100 percent there you will you will find a way to make it happen and I believe that in everything. And that's why, you know, I, I used to talk to people. At, I, I remember I had to speak at one of the art schools here. I won't even mention the name because it was a little embarrassing for me because I show up. I don't think they asked enough questions that I did not graduate college. I'm a firm believer that if you work in the arts, mm-hmm. your passion will outweigh the education in certain things, you know, your portfolio, your talent is going to speak more than, Oh, I've gone 10, you know, eight years of college. Um, Disney was not even hiring animators that had big degrees. They wanted raw, pure talent that you can draw and form formulate in their fashion. So I think that um, speaking at this one college, it was hysterical because I'm, you know, I'm trying to, ignore the idea that I didn't graduate. Hey, you guys go out and start working hard. You know, you might have to start in the mailroom because a lot of these art colleges were telling people, especially art center. I remember taking night classes there when I was doing all that. The instructors were telling these kids that you're going to get out of here and you're an art center student. You're going to make a hundred thousand dollars like that. It's like, that is the stupidest thing you could ever say because fine art people are not going to make that much money, mm-hmm. you know, and um, maybe auto designers are, but, I I just, it was a very humbling thing to hear it. I was lucky that I already had a job. So here, having a job and hearing what's being said, I was kind of that one 
to talk to some of these kids too. It's like, it's not really like that. The teachers hated me because I used to be working at Disney. I used to bring all the color keys or the, the print samples into the class to show what we're working on. And, you know, the, a lot of these teachers weren't working in the industry anymore. They were mm-hmm. still, you know, years ago they had worked in it. So it was, it was a challenge, but you know, again, it just passion is that key that kind of took over for me. Yeah. And how did this lead you to fresh films and tell us what fresh films is all about. So when I'll tell you the first thing, when I moved to Tennessee, one of my favorite movies was uh, Flamingo kid back then. And so when I start, I, I moved here and I thought I need to find a job. And so I'm interviewing at all these agencies and I'm being interviewed by really young people. And it's like, when I'd say how much money I'd want per year, which wasn't even a lot, they're like, Oh wow, that's a lot of money type thing. And I realized you're my, you're my competition. I don't want to work for you people, you know, these young kids. And so I really started just doing freebie jobs in town. And so I called myself Cabana studios and I just, I just liked it's something about the pineapple and something about kind of tropical. And I had this whole, I think there was a chicken place in um, California. I don't know if it's still there. I think it's called Islands. Yes. Yeah. Still, still there. I want to do an office just like that, where you've got cubicles that are corrugated steel and you've got a tiki umbrella on top. And I just want to go cabana. The problem in Tennessee, nobody knew what cabana meant. <laughs> and then I learned that the pineapple, there's this apparently, I don't know if it's true or not, but you turn the pineapple upside down and put it on your front porch. Apparently it means you're a swinger. So I swear to God, it's like, okay. So my tagline, it was Cabana Studios. It was fresh design, never frozen was my tagline. Some branding issues right there, huh? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I decided no more Cabana and I stuck with fresh design. So my company is called Fresh. Mm-hmm. So I did a fresh LLC. And so for years it was called Fresh Design. And then when I started doing more video, it was confusing to people. So I called it fresh film and design. And then um, it wasn't until I did a documentary four years ago, my first, first full length documentary, and it was about wild Mustangs. And I was hired by a woman who was an heir to Coca-Cola and uh, she had 12 wild Mustangs that she had adopted, but she also, she had a huge heart and she started an all girl charter school. And by mistake or by happenstance, she actually figured out that when you take these urban girls, that a lot of them were homeless. A lot of them had multiple, (laughs) I mean, there was one girl who had six siblings and each child had a different father. Um, You know, you've got these troubled kids. And so she started the school for these kids and integrated horse therapy with these wild Mustangs. So I was brought in really as a small project just to tell this little story. And I said, this is a documentary, you know? So for one year I followed, it's three stories. It's the story of the girls, the story of these wild Mustangs, how they're adopted. And then also with the integration of the two. So we were out in Oregon filming the Bureau of Land Management property. We've got full permission out there and it was just eye opening. And so we, I didn't know what I was doing. It was my first, I, you know, I kept thinking, I'm doing a documentary. I know exactly what I'm doing. I knew enough. I mean, I knew the, the editing and shooting and we had great sound in it. But going to film festivals and figuring out, well, what do you, I, I was doing everything on my own. And so 
entered it into all these festivals. We made it into 12 festivals and won five awards. And I walked away from that going, this is, this is actually really cool. You know, this is about, I just want to tell story. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're out there in the outdoors. And so I think that maybe is what got me started really in the whole idea of being in the outdoors because I love getting dirty out there. You know, it was so much fun and um, which probably in time led to trail mix. And so what was the title of the Mustang film? That one is called when the dust settles. And uh, it's actually, as I understand it's still on tour. It's up in Canada now. Um, I don't know if they're going to put it on Netflix. That was an interesting project only because that was a little bit more to work for hire project. So I was paid to do it, but my client owns it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, normally as a director, I want to do something that I, that I own that I can put to any film festival that I can go to Netflix or whomever. So I'm not sure what they're doing with it, but the trailer's out there and it's on my, uh, I've got a YouTube channel, Fresh. Actually, the website is when, um, when the dust settles dot film. And the trailer for that is on there and more information. Okay. So, all right, we'll have to check that out. We'll have to include that in the social media uh, promotions for, uh, for this episode. Fun. <laughs> nice. So um, what else have you done with fresh films? I would say, I mean, really all the music videos I was doing was under, fell under that and all the behind okay. the scenes. Um, really trail mix was kind of the next step. Uh, fresh films hasn't been around that long in terms of, you know, thinking about fresh design and how long that has been around. Um, but it was primarily more anything video. So I was doing a lot of nonprofit work. Uh, I've got a huge passion for nonprofits. Um, you know, I kind of wish that I was some big philanthropist that I can give people money, but I decided, you know what, at least I can help them out and do some projects for them and, you know, not charge them. So that made me feel a little bit better about that. Nice. And does Fresh Films have a website that we can check out your, your uh, past? Yeah, it's actually, projects? it's all connected because everything I do, it's, uh, it's actually pretty easy. It's fresh with a hyphen design, fresh-design.com. Okay. And uh, on there, you'll see video. I probably need to update that more, but, um, but that's, it shows photography, the design, the video. I mean, I, it's pretty, a lot of stuff on there. Okay. Got pretty busy. I was very, very lucky. Yeah. And what led you exactly to trail mix this film, this documentary about the Appalachian trail, why the Appalachian trail, and then tell us about the kind of the format and the inspiration for this. God, you know, that's, I wish that was easier to answer and I'll try, (laughs) I'll try to keep it shorter. Um, Like I said, growing up in a single parent household, I never camped and never did anything. Um, I was married 24 years. Uh, we got divorced and I met somebody new that I married and we've been married now going on four years and together we bought this little cabin out in North Carolina. So living in Nashville, it's beautiful rolling Hills, but I just, I just fell in love with the mountains. I want to be near skiing because skiing mm-hmm. became big. And you know, you were kind of in Nashville, Tennessee. You don't think about great skiing around here anywhere, but there is an area North on the north part of Northern uh, North Carolina called Beach Mountain. And so I would drive up to the cabin. I went there a lot because there was so much renovation being done on it. Even though it's a five and a half hour drive, I was going up there every other weekend, I think. 
And it was one weekend I went up there and I saw maybe five or six backpackers crossing the highway 19E, which is uh, near Roan Mountain, which is uh, like the closest parking lot is uh, Carver's Gap. It's a beautiful area. I had never been up there. I honestly didn't really know much about back through hikers. I didn't know that I didn't know the phrase through hiker, but I was fascinated by these people because I had just seen the movie wild with uh, Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, these are, these are like gypsies out there. I couldn't, I couldn't really describe what it meant to me, but I was so intrigued and fascinated that it's like, all that I wanted to do is go meet some hikers. That's all I wanted to do. And, um, this came at a really rough time because I was about to get a hip replacement. So I went up there about two months before um, my hip replacement. I was in so much pain. I went up there carrying, I had this big Canon C100 camera with a full rig on it. And then I had my still camera, had a backpack with lenses. I just thought, Oh, I'll just hike up this little mountain here and, you know, I, I kind of had to learn where the AT was. I couldn't even find where the trail was. It was pretty hard to find in the beginning. And I found it. And so I hiked about two miles until my body just couldn't take it anymore. And I had not seen a soul. <laughs> and I am up there. And so I'm hiking south. So my hope was that uh, I was going to meet people that were hiking north from Georgia going to Maine. And uh, I stopped and I did a little vlog. It's actually on my YouTube channel too. And I'm, I tried to make something fun of it that I'm talking to camera and it's like, I mean, I'm hurting like hell, but just as I'm talking to camera, I heard footsteps and this young couple comes tromping up with their backpacks. And back then it was so funny. Cause again, I wasn't there to do a documentary. I'm just trying to meet somebody, want to film somebody didn't even know that there was a heavy presence on YouTube with through hikers or any hikers. I, again, this was all so new to me. I met this young couple, Prime and, uh, what was her, Elmo, because she laughed like Elmo. And he looked <laughs> like the Prime Minister of Canada. That's where he got his, his trail name. And we started talking. And so they had started three months prior. And they started in March. This is May. Or no, it was, yeah, it was the end of May. And they were the very beginning of March. And Um, their story became a big part of my film too, but they told me about the challenges and being just soaked in the smoky mountains and the snow and the bubble of people. And I learned so many new phrases like this is insane. You know, you guys are actually enjoying this and um, real quick nutshell on those people. I, we kept in touch the entire time as it turns out. And this is actually in the film by the time they hit Pennsylvania, they found out she was pregnant. By the, when they finished, I, they're, from, they're from Alabama. When they finished, I drove to Alabama and uh, we did a uh, follow-up interview to find out they had only met one month before they did the trail. Wow. But that was their courting. That was their dating. Uh-huh. And I, all, that's when I realized, oh my God, there's like in just these two people that's a crazy story. I mean, that's like, that could be its own little movie. And so I started really getting into, I wasn't in podcasts yet. I was started reading books and uh, one of them is, um, oh my God, it just changed everything for me. It's a guy named Paul Stutzman and he wrote a book called hiking through. And 
Paul is an Amish guy out of Ohio and uh, owned a restaurant up there in Amish Amish country. And he and his wife were debating when to retire and they kept putting it off because they needed more money. One dark day, they found out she had fourth stage four cancer and she died shortly after that. So his way to grieve was to hike the Appalachian Trail. He had never hiked before. He never did anything like it. So he hiked the trail. And I read this book, and it was 10 years after he had written the book that I actually read it. I decided, okay, if this is, I'm intrigued by these stories. I got to start meeting some of these people now. And he did not have a publisher, but I found an email address that I thought was, could be his. He actually got back to me the next day and said, hey, you got me. I sent him a goofy little trailer that I had. Not even a trailer, because I still wasn't doing the film, but it was just a teaser thing of just being out there. He goes, I like what you're doing. And he goes, I want to let you know something. I actually still live in Ohio, but I've got a new girlfriend who lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'll be there next week. So we met up and we became friends. I did a big interview with him. Uh, His his trail name was Apostle, Apostle Paul. And uh, he was going to Damascus, Apostle Paul going to Damascus, Virginia. So that was kind of his big thing. But we became really good friends through that. And at that point, I realized, okay, I think I'm onto something here. And it had to do more about transformation. I thought, everybody I'm meeting, because I started meeting a lot of people, and everybody is changing out there. So I decided to focus on the Appalachian Trail because the Pacific Crest, when I started doing research, I to me, it represented more of an endurance thing mm-hmm. or um, a little more athletic. A lot of, and, you know, you got the, de- I loved it because you got the deserts and everything, but the Appalachian Mountains are some of the oldest mountains in the world. And what I started learning was that there are stories in these old mountains. And I just wanted to kind of s- focus and s- tell stories. It was much easier for me too, instead of traveling all around. And um, so I just kind of started meeting people along the way and I realized, okay, this is a big thing. And I thought transformation of people of hikers was going to be what the film was about. Yeah. So stick a pin in that right there. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, how that idea uh, even transformed formed further from that. Correct. You, you underwent uh, quite a bit of, of change from your original idea as to you know, how this film uh, eventually turned out. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey, this is Glenn Schweitzer, filmmaker for the film Trail Mix. You're listening to the John Frickin' Muir Pod. Welcome back. We are talking to uh, filmmaker Glenn Schweitzer about his upcoming documentary Trail Mix. And I just want to throw out there that one of the reasons we got connected to each other is because your cousin-in-law, Chopper, he would take a look at the videos that I would put together and post on YouTube about our hikes. And he goes, yeah, that's that's nice, Doc, but uh, you really should check out my cousin. He, he, he really knows what he's doing. <laughs> and so he gave me your YouTube channel and, and I checked oh, out some of your films. And these, some of these clips that you're talking about where you're interviewing folks out there on the Appalachian Trail, I think those are the, the, those are the clips that I watched on your, on your YouTube channel. 
And okay. I thought this guy, this guy does know what he's doing. Chopper for once is, is right about something. <laughs> and, uh, I actually reached out to you and, and if you remember by email and just said, you know, Hey, I, I dig what you're doing and, uh, and keep going and looking forward to, to seeing the finished product. I do remember that was a while ago too. It was. So, uh, right before a break, you were talking about how your idea for the, the film kind of transformed a little bit. Um, why don't you take us through the rest of that? Okay. So I think at that point when I was interviewing all these people and I, I think there were about 20 hikers, 20 through hikers that I really focused on. I met a lot more, but there was something about being out there and earning the trust of these people that I can't even tell you, we cried. I cried so much doing this thing. Uh, it opened up some doors that in my head that were just a little foggy. I don't know how else to say it, mm -hmm. but there's a little bit of clarity that comes when, you know, you're hiking and you've got nobody else to uh, talk to other than insects and yourself, mm -hmm. nothing like getting to know yourself. And um, sorry, if that's loud. Um, that's okay. Um, what I started learning is that, some of these stories were so heavy that a couple of the guys didn't even want to talk on camera about it, but they were willing to talk about other things. I found myself almost being an investigative reporter. It's like, well, how do I get back to that topic? One example is a guy, he became a really good friend. His name is Breezy. Um, had to do with uh, the wind blowing under his shorts, I think. And Breezy I met on opening day of, on the Appalachian Trail. So that would have been March in Springer Mountain. Uh, I guess it was two years ago because it took a year and a half to film that. And we started talking and I kind of cut to the chase. It's like, so why are you out here? You know, what do you, what do you, are you running from something? I mean, I actually will ask people that. He just looked at me and just started crying. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, what have I just done? I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. Have I opened up some crazy story? And, I, and then I thought he was upset with me. Turns out his mom had passed away recently. He was a Marine. Uh, he served quite a few years in the military. When he got out, he was kind of suffering a little bit of PTSD, didn't feel accepted in the community the only person who got him was his mom. It was his best friend. And she knew that he wanted to hike the AT and she really supported it. And I met him, I think it was a month after she died. Mm. So we started talking and oh my God, it just, I realized the weight that this guy was carrying. And I, at that point realized, you know what, if I'm going to ask some questions like that, I need to be able to follow up and really be the best listener I can be because I'm not interested in the people who are out there just doing it for the fun of it that, Hey, I'm trying to do it in 60 days or it's not about that. I don't care if, you know, cause in the beginning I thought I'm just doing a film about through hikers. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. The thing is with through hiking and I'm not exactly sure what the stats are in the PCT, but on the Appalachian trail, if you got, I think the number last year was close to 4,000 people that started 
12% finish, you know, so in a year that you've got close to 4,000 people starting, you might have just a few hundred people, if that finishing. And the crazy thing is out of the 20 people that I was focused on, three of them finished. And um, it, so it started this question in my head, why am I doing this? Is it really just about transformation? Because once I started watching YouTube channels and people were, there's a ton. In fact, uh, some great people that I met that are actually in the film too, that are big on YouTube. And, but it wasn't about transformation anymore because I realized if that's what it is, it's not a story because my chances of finding the right people to finish it are not great. And then you get deep into the military aspect of it where, you know, to this day, it's was a 22 vets a day are killing themselves. Mm -hmm. So a lot of vets that I met were hiking the Appalachian trail to avoid these thoughts of suicide, but then something else happened and they call that post trail depression. What happens when you take a vet and for six months they're in their heyday because uh, when you're, you're in the military, I learned that you work on mission, you know, your goal is to finish this trail. You are, it's about survival. It's about finding the water source. It's not so much social. Right. But when they touch the sign and they're done, they quit their job already. What do they do then? I learned that the suicide rate goes up. Wow. So, yeah, we've talked about that with a number of our guests about uh, kind of reintegrating into society after a long hike like that. And, yeah. you know, that, that's just for your average person who, who yeah. does it, who's not coming from military background, who doesn't have PTSD, that, that post-trail depression is a real thing. And it takes quite a bit of time and effort to get out of that funk of, you know, four, five, six months of just focusing on the present and the immediate, you know, this, this is how many miles I need to do. This is where I need to find water. This is where I'm camping. You know, it's all, you're living in the moment and you're on that mission, like you said, and then trying to go back to your day-to-day -day hustle and bustle, uh, all the constraints of society, everything else, and, and being out of that element uh, is, is the real deal for, like I said, people who don't have PTSD. So I, I can only imagine how, how that kind of background can even compound that. Yeah, it was, that was heavy. So talking to the guy Breezy and talking about his mom and then he actually walked off trail three times because one, the first time his buddy killed himself, a fellow Marine. And it just, you know, it, it really started depressing me because like, what the hell's going on? You know, why am I out here? You know, am I really just here to follow, you know, if it's a vet, you know, it's like, okay, I hope the odds are that, you know, you get to integrate back into society. And if it's somebody who's grieving after losing a loved one, oh, I hope you get to meet somebody after you, you know, I, it was just bizarre. But what, what I found is that I started healing in the process and I didn't even know that I was injured in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, what, were you what, were, what were you healing from? Well, see, that's the thing. I didn't think I was, mm -hmm. I, I didn't think I had anything to heal from because it's like, I was happily married. I'm, uh, um, I think insecure. I'm, I've got a lot of insecurities. And as you get older, you kind of realize, you know what? We are all the same. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's going to be shit that you're hiding underneath your skin that you're just not going to show it. And I kind of learned out there that I can actually finally show it. So, and if, if I can, a really quick story, and this became one of the turning points 
for me in this film because yeah and before you tell the story i just want our listeners to know i realized as soon as i asked that question of you that hey i'm not a therapist so i'm not sure what door i'm opening here and i'm not sure what we're going to walk into but you go right ahead and share your story right well (laughs) it was the very first time i hiked the trail so i had all this i planned this sucker out i bought it was at rei man i was I spent so much fricking money and I'm, I bought, I wanted to buy the best of everything. My backpack. <laughs> now I had a drone in there too. And all my camera gear. So I was at 75 pounds. Oh, ouch. So, yeah. And not only that, the backpack was too big. I didn't really have it fitted. I just bought a large and thinking that I'm a, you know, I'm a big guy and walked out. felt like, you know, I know what I'm doing here. Oh my God, that backpack wobbled on me. It was like a young child ripping at my neck. <laughs> and I have a, one of the neighbors by the cabin is the one who drove me to the top of Carver's Gap. So he drove me up there, dropped me off. Goes, okay. And he was going to pick me up in two days down on, on Highway 19E. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I started hiking and I had a goal that I'm going to go nine miles today because I, I did the math that, okay, for me to end up at 19E, had to do this. I was not ready for that. And there are two mountains in the Roan Mountain range that are pretty well known to AT hikers. And that's the, uh, it's Big Hump and Little Hump Mountain. And Little Hump actually is the one that kicks everyone's butt. And I remember I was at the base of this mountain and I think I'm now five miles. So I had made it five miles, Mm -hmm. but the most painful five miles I've ever done in my life, backpack is swinging all around 75 pounds. I had to lean my backpack on a rock to even get it off. And I hated taking it off because that means I had to put it back on. And (laughs) so I'm at about five and a half miles ready to quit. Literally, I was like, what the hell am I doing out here? I'm not a hiker. I didn't, at this point, didn't even see any other people. I mean, I'm up there by myself. It's like, wait, I'm not trying to be a through hiker. I I wanted to meet people along the way. So then I realized standing there in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, I'm just going to go home. And it's like, I can't go home because I'm going to have to hike five more miles backwards. My ride is not there. I have no self service up there. And so I'm standing there and it's like, okay, well, maybe I just pitch my tent here. I do. I didn't know what to do. And I'm standing there leaning on my poles, just huffing. I was not in great shape. And this huge monarch butterfly landed on my shoe and I'm looking right down at it. And at first it was just like, oh, look at that butterfly. And I have no other way to describe it other than this butterfly harassed me. It was flying around me. Um, It was flying going forward, coming back to me, landing back on my shoe, landing right in front of me. or, And it was like, it was trying to lead me up the mountain in my head. So again, this is when your mind starts playing games. And mm-hmm. I thought, what am I doing? You know, it's like, anyway, fast forward, I made it nine miles because of that butterfly. And I did not see one other butterfly on this entire trail. And when the butterfly was really becoming my friend, I kept thinking, well, who are you then? You know, is this a God wink? Is this somebody in my past that's coming around? And immediately to my head came my, my grandma. And 
my grandma passed away years back, but, and I was not able to say goodbye to her because I was living in Tennessee. And so this butterfly was my grandma, Rosemary. It was, and I loved my grandma just dearly. So fast forward, set up camp, had the most amazing night of sleep. I remember waking up at about five o'clock in the morning and this heavy fog or cloud came in and I was ready to get up. I just, I really, I was sore, but it's like, I just wanted a cup of coffee and I decided, okay, I'll just lay back down, fall asleep or rest for another hour. I fell asleep and I had one of those, I will just call it a visitation dream that I'm at my mom's house because I've been caregiving for my mom um, here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. She just recently passed away. And mm-hmm. so caregiving for her, and I was at her house all the time. It was this normal day. Like I'm in her living room talking to my mom and the front door opens up and my grandma walks in. I have never had a dream about my grandma and it was the most vivid dream. And I remember getting up, going up to her and going, what are you doing here? You're not alive. I mean, it was like that kind of a weird dream. And it was, right. So I woke up and I literally was crying like a baby. And so that the monarch butterfly became a pretty important part of even how I met certain people. Um, so the, that opened up the door. And because of that, it kind of, opened up the door for me to finish that part of the trail and, and to meet more. And I finally, I started meeting more people. And then I started saying, well, if I'm supposed to do this film, I expect something to happen all the time. You know, what's going to be the next thing that happens. And, and um, one of those was the, uh, the author, Paul Stutzman I reached out to him, got him. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this as a true film, I need a film permit. I'm not going to do this thing illegally. So I reached out to uh, um, the national forest service and everybody told me you'll never get through to them. And they're not going to, they don't, they didn't even give permits to on the movie, uh, walk in the woods with Robert Redford. They had to film on the private property parts like Springer mountain. And then they found their own trails. Right. Well, I requested a permit. They gave it to me. And for a year they said for, yeah, for a year you can film. I said, Oh, I was expecting no. So then it's like, okay, then I'm going to reach out to Bill Bryson and from Walk in the Woods. I'm going to see if he'll be in. Well, he, well, he got right back to me too. And he sent me this amazing letter and loved what I was doing. And he goes, that's going to help people. And um, because at that point I realized this is not about hikers anymore. It was about why are these people getting better? So it really became more about a nature aspect, even though it's, I wouldn't call it a nature film, but it really is to the core of, okay, we all know people are feeling better and, and uh, just fix, you know, there are therapists that prescribe nature. Well, why? And so anyway, that's kind of where the whole thing, I did this full circle and it became more about the nature aspect of it. So and, the, ther- the therapeutic nature of nature? Yes, that's exactly it. Nice. Nice. And it seems like a lot of things kind of just clicked into place. You were seeing signs left and right. Uh, It was speaking to you. You were having these incredible moments out on the trail. Uh, I know that our listeners are going to want to know, did you make it to uh, highway 19? Is it 19 E? I made it to catch your ride. I did. In fact, I made it a day early and met the most amazing people. I fell on my ass so many times. I can't, you know, it, 
Well, when the pack is 75 pounds, I mean, you're, you're, you're not quite balanced. So <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. It was horrible. But I made it to 19E and I was able to get phone reception and Fred, our neighbor, came to pick, he drove, luckily it was only like 35 miles away to the cabin. So he came and got me. Nice. Nice. And can we talk a little bit about REI and how much they have profited off of, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say the movie Wild. Uh, I think that kind of inspired a whole new generation of hikers out there who just, I imagine, flocked to REI and just loaded up on gear. Oh, you know it. And I'm one of them. It's pretty sad. You know, they do these dividend checks. And I, as I learned, I think the dividend checks are usually you get 10% back of what you spent. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> In the heart of the film, because I was actually buying people backpacks to come hike with me. I didn't know any hikers. So I'm like, okay, I'll get you a tent and I'll get all this because I wanted them to keep doing it too. I got like $2,200 check from REI. It's like, oh, I just spent $22,000. Wow. So yeah, I was kind of probably their best customer for a year and a half, which a lot of that led to, I don't know if we talk about the, you know, what I ended up doing after the film and I just wanted to help other people get out there. So I just started buying people stuff. <laughs> Well, you should be a gold card member of REI. Yeah, I don't they give those out. Hell, they wouldn't even give me permission to film in their store oh. as I'm buying a backpack for somebody. That's all I wanted. And so it's like, so I started going to smaller outfitters that are around here. And I, I love REI. It's still my go-to candy store. But mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I just had a realization myself. Uh, you know, I, we, we moved my daughter up to Southern Oregon. Uh, for college back in 2014, fall of 2014. And it was on one of those trips where I was getting her kind of situated up there. I was reading a book and the book was Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Mm-hmm. And I have not put this together before. Uh, I, I had a conversation with a work buddy shortly after that. And the the, the topic of conversation came up about backpacking and, and being on the trail and I had never done anything like that before. And I think subconsciously I was influenced by, by the book Wild. And that, that's what led to our 2015 summer hike of the John Muir Trail. So oh, nice. Yeah, nice. very good. I love it. All right. So uh, the film kind of evolved into uh, you know, the therapeutic nature of nature. And you interviewed how many people during the, the filming of the documentary the ones that i'm keeping the ones that all have really interesting stories i would say there's 20 okay there are 20 hikers that not all were through hikers um but there's every one of them probably had the most amazing story that affected me i kind of looked at it like you know if it affected me i believe that other people will find something in that i hope that there's something about everybody in this because it's not just military. Um, there are some. I, there are two or three people that had the ashes of their parent with them mm-hmm. um, in their backpack. There were. I met a guy from the UK that. Oh my God! It was just his mom got remarried. the The father treated him horribly, trying to kick him out of the house, and it just went on. It was sound like a really bad movie, and he ended up saying, I'm coming to the United States to hike the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people that really, the AT was on their radar, that that is where they're going to go. And uh, 
I met a guy named Mule was his trail name. And he uh, worked for a corporate office. He was also out of London. And he had a convention. I think it was like in Ohio. And he finished the convention and told his wife, you know what? I'm going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. So he did it in four months. So he was only at, you know, out of pocket for four months, which is pretty, pretty fast. Mm-hmm. But just hearing these people that it's like that's been on their bucket list and Hey, I'm this close to it. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. What is the anticipated release date of trail mix? That's actually a really good question because so the filming is finished. I, the hope was that it was going to be for the film festivals in 2021, which I'm still aiming for. Actually I was aiming for 2020, but I made a decision. I don't want to, I just didn't want to release it in virtual film festivals. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm going to wait and see what happens for 2021. Um, I will say this a year and a half of interviews. And when you get that transcribed on paper, it took me a long time to get that done. Um, I also realized that the ending of the film probably is not what I think it's going to be. Uh, it could take on a couple different twists. So I'm thinking I'm aiming for next for 2021, but you know what? It, I decided I'm not going to be in a rush to do this thing mm-hmm. because a lot of other things have evolved from this film that I'm not sure which actually is more important right now because yeah. it affected me enough to take me to different levels that I've got to, you know, I've got a lot on the plate right now in terms of that. So, so let's say it comes out in 2021. How many years have you actually spent on the project? Well, I took it, it was a year and a half of about say two years of filming. Okay. And that includes my first time out there trying to understand what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but it was truly year to year and a half. Cause it was two seasons of hiking. See, I did a thing that I, in the very beginning, I don't know how else to say this. I did not want to appear like, Hey, I'm making a film and I'm meeting, I'm hanging in the parking lot with a trail angel. And can I interview you? And which, you know, a lot of people have these interviews of just, Hey, what's your trail name? What are you doing today? You know, I really didn't want that. I want, I literally would ask, what's your story? And one of my other big questions was when you finished the Appalachian trail that day, when you touch the sign, what are you doing the next day? What happens in your life? Because most people said, I don't know. I quit my job. I don't know where I'm going, mm-hmm. but I realized for me to be respected by these through hikers who at this point when I'm meeting them, they're already three months into it. I decided to hike every season. So I hiked about 550 miles total. And then I ended up driving all the way to Maine and back uh, following the AT and I interviewed the Appalachian trail conservancy and all, but I decided to hike in the dead of winter in spring. And I mean, I've been through the worst storms I've, I got to one mountain in the snow where pitched a tent, woke up and found tons of bear scat all around my tent because I apparently pitched my tent right next to berry bushes, berries that these bears are eating. And it's like, oh, okay. I didn't see the bear luckily, but um, I just decided, you know, and I, I, one of my videos on my channel, I was started doing little short videos, just talking about each little trip. And one of them, I literally fell down probably seven times slipping on ice because it'd be muddy and then all of a sudden you hit a patch of ice and you just you're down and at that point my backpack was 60 pounds I think the lightest I've been is 60 and um you just kind of learn to you know 
stick it out, keep going, don't cry. <laughs> Hopefully nobody saw you do it. That might be that might be a good pro tip right there. Just keep at it. Don't cry. <laughs> don't cry. <laughs> so I, I asked you that because I can hear the passion in your voice. I can see it on your face as we're talking here. Uh, this is a labor of love. This is something that you are fully committed to. This is something that's taken multiple years and you're not just pulling up to the, the easily convenient spots and asking the easy questions. You're, you're doing your research. You're putting in the time you are hiking the trail in all different seasons and different conditions. And you're asking questions that uh, are not your normal softball questions. You're asking, you're trying to get to the story of, of what these people are doing out here. And so I am really excited. I really want to see this film. No, thanks. Yeah. And Thank when you. somebody sits down, I know, I know you say there might be a, a twist at the end. You maybe the ending might take a different, different form. Um, you're not sure about that yet, but uh, I was going to ask, you know, when someone sits down, watches trail mix, once it's completed, what, what do you hope they walk away with? What they, they walk out of the theater and they turn to their, their partner, their friend, and they say, what? that nature that they need to get out there. I mean, actually I can tell you what I want them to do based on what I, what I did. Um, I don't even know if this was going to be one of your questions, but my passion to do this and learning about the military vets and learning, I learned more about meeting people that reminded me of myself when I was young, people that have never been out there before. And so I, had this concept that it's like, I want to take an urban family. I want to take myself, my mom and my brother who my brother, you know, beat the shit out of me when I was growing up. My mom was never home because she worked. We kind of raised ourselves, but never got to the outdoors. I want to take that family to the outside. I want to give them a backpack, sleeping bag and a tent, take them on a one night hike to let them know that, you actually can do this because a lot of people, unless somebody takes them, they're never going to go. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing goes with fishing. If you've never fished before, what are you going to go to the store and buy a, what kind of fishing rod do you buy? How do you cast? How do you do, you know, but when somebody takes you out, chances are you could, you're going to go out there and do it on your own next time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I realized that's who I was in this project that I wanted to be able to work with these urban families and so I started a charity called Trails Please. It's Trails Please Foundation. In fact, it's trailspleasefoundation.org is the website. But I, the program, I'm doing a couple things. One is scholarship that I want to give money to kids that are basically the stewards of tomorrow of the trails. Because I met a ton of people that everyone's about utilizing the trail now. And, you know, I, I got the history of the trails. But, well, what's the future of the trail? you know, REI talks about stewardship and all, and, but who truly are these stewards? So I found these young kids that through another program here in Nashville, that they're training, learning, they were learning about water. They're learning about creeks and trees and dirt. So I decided to, in the charity, give money to these kids that are going to go to college and study that aspect. That's the future. Nice. And then, then the other part of it is taking these urban kids. And, and I didn't want to be just kids. I want it to be the parent with the kids because I believe that you can create this triangle. And in that triangle, you've got, you've got number one exercise. You've got um, basically 
creating memories as, as vague as that is a lot of these people have never had an experience in a vacation with their parent because they can't afford it. Well, you can afford going out to the outdoors, you know? And so I want to create those memories, but I want to educate them too about the bugs and, and all that. And, and when you create that triangle and those three points within that, it just creates family bonding, family that's, unity. That's fantastic. You're getting, you're getting uh, non campers, non hikers, uh, getting those families, kids and parents out into the, out into the wild and ha- giving them that experience. Exactly. Incredible. That's the hope. That's yep. the hope. So that's what I hope people would get out of the film. And that's even, to be honest, one of the things, the challenges of this film, do I, do I mention this film triggering a concept like a nonprofit, like a charity, you know, and I, cause I don't want it. I don't want the movie to be a trailer or a promo for a charity. Mm-hmm. So, but however, that was my learning process. That's what I got out of it. Right. And so that, again, that's one of the challenges of, you know, how do you put a film like this together that it is pure personal, you mm-hmm. know? And so it was, um, that's the challenging part, but, but the name of the program is called foot to soil that I'm taking these kids out. And of course we had our first big event planned for April. I think it was April 12th and then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So, um, we had, to post, plans. Yeah. we had to postpone it and I'm not sure I'm at a kind of a weird crossroad right now. You know, is it going to happen like it should? Do I, you know, unless somebody out there wants to be, I mean, I've been wearing every hat on this nonprofit, mm-hmm. but even getting the, becoming a 501c3, I was told it would take a year to happen. It happened in two months. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, that's like, conceiving a baby and you've got nine months to plan, but all of a sudden in one month, it's like, Hey, you got a full grown baby. And it's right. like, we didn't even paint the room yet. And that's <laughs> what I feel like kind of happened with this charities, but I've got a board, you know, I've got two guys on the board and so we'll, we'll figure it out. But I, I think as of right now, that was the, um, the big challenge, you know, that what do I do? what do I want people to take from this film? And I think it's just nature heals. I, they don't have to be a through hiker. Hey, go out there and for 20 minutes and hike around in the woods, you know, and touch a tree. I mean, there's something about being out there that will change you. You know, there's that book that is about the three day effect. I mean, Oh my God, three days is all, if you can be out there for three days, two nights, that's, you'll go home different mm-hmm. for sure. Fantastic. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to try and pin Glenn down on some of his most memorable characters from the trail. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. This is Mike Chambers, host of Beat Monday on Outside TV, and you're listening to the John Frickin' Muir podcast. Okay, we are back with Glenn Schweitzer, and as promised, going to try and pin him down. He interviewed uh, uh, at least 20. He's keeping 20 for the film, but I want to talk to him and try and have him tell us maybe his top three most memorable hikers that he came into contact with or, or moments uh, or stories from, from the whole filmmaking process. So, Glenn, are you able to do that? Pin it down to three, maybe? I can. It's, it's a little tough. Okay. I, I was thinking about that, and it's like, Hmm. Yeah, I think I do though. There's, 
There's three that probably made the heaviest impression on me. Luckily, I've mentioned a couple of them already. So I'm like Breezy, who made a huge impression on me. But um, yeah, I've got, I think the first one, it was actually probably the oddest moment I had because I was hiking. And at this point, I'm feeling pretty comfortable now. I was out, I've been out there, I've probably already, already hiked 300 miles. So I was feeling pretty confident out there. It was beautiful weather. And I'm hiking and I see this guy coming down the trail towards me because I would always hike the opposite direction of where hikers were going because I wanted to be able to, I didn't want to hike with them. I wanted to hike against them. And this guy shows up wearing a kilt and he looked like a badass too. You know, he had a good do-rag on him. He had this cool gray beard going on. And so I think he'd already been out there probably four months. And so I, I have this thing that I do, like I never meet people with a camera in my hand. I'll start talking to them first. And I I would consider myself an introvert. So that was a big thing for me to start talking to people just randomly. Mm -hmm. And I did find that people most were willing to talk. So this guy, we just, I looked at him and just, you know, laughed and said, what's with the kilts, you know? And he goes, well, I got a story for you. I said, can I shoot, film you telling me the story? He goes, yeah. So, his story, his trail name was Buck Wild. And oh, wow. Buck Wild lived in Georgia. And his father lived in Maine. His dad's dream was to always hike the Appalachian Trail. But his dad died six months prior. Mm. So he had a lot of regret because he didn't get to do things with his dad. And he, um, he wishes that his dad could have even hiked a little bit of the AT or just stepped foot on it. So anyway, the kilt was his father's. So he's hiking in his dad's kilt and his dad's ashes were in his backpack. Uh, That's amazing. And the ending of that thing, which literally drew me to tears right there. And he, he was crying too. I asked him the question. So what happens when you touch the sign? You've made it now. You've gone, you know, 2000 miles plus and you're at Mount Katahdin, Maine. What do you do? And he smiled and he said, his mom is in, her, in, a, in an assisted living home in Florida. And one of his relatives was bringing her up to Maine. And the day after he got off the trail, he was taking his mom in a van and they were going to do a road trip to California. Cross country. Wow. Taking his mom is like escaping out of an old person's home. And I thought that is so cool, you know, and that really touched me. And so I was like, all right, that's cool. And so he was, we are still in contact to this day, you know, year, year and a half after he finished. So He's Buck now- Wild, Buck Wild, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on an episode to talk about your double adventure of hiking the Appalachian Trail and then going across the country in a van with your mom to California. That'd be great. Yeah. And I, as I understand it, I don't think they end up not doing the, the van ride. And I don't know why, because I wanted to be there for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it didn't happen, but he bought a motorcycle and I think he moved up to Maine to be near his dad's place. And so that was, that was, that was a pretty special, special story. Now hiking in a kilt, that could be kind of freeing, but it's also dangerous for uh, locations yes. of mosquito bites. Yeah. Oh, there are snakes. And apparently he had, <laughs> he was not wearing the undergarments. So. <laughs> Free and easy. Free yeah. and easy. There you go. Yeah. So he, and he did, he kept that kilt on the entire time. I ran into him at uh, it's called Trail Days. It's the big event up in uh, D- 
Damascus, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he was there in his kilt there. So it's like, all right, man. Nice. Looks good. Okay. So there's one. How about another one? Okay. I would, you know, I'll try to make this one really short, but the one that probably, now he was not the hiker, but it was Paul Stutzman, the author. So I, was, I was told you the story about the, the butterfly and how this thing really did affect me. And it, and uh, my trail name was, is Wanderer, which should be my daily name the rest of my life because it's what I do anyway. And my wife will vouch for that. And <laughs> so when I met Paul Stutzman, he was from Ohio. He came to uh, Nashville to see his girlfriend and uh, gave me the time for an interview. And then afterwards we went and had lunch. And so we did the typical little talk, you know, getting to know each other, felt like first date. So it's like, what's your trail name? You know, and I told my name's Wanderer and I knew his was Apostle because Apostle Paul, I read his book. But we started telling stories about the trail. And I, it was really important for me to tell him about the butterfly story because that was one of those turning moments for me that made me realize, okay, I'm on to something here. And so I told him, my butterfly story that this butterfly is a big old monarch butterfly harassed me. And I, you know, because that butterfly finished the trail. And when I told him the butterfly story, he's sitting there with his mouth half open, nodding, going, I got to show you something. He reached into his bag and he pulled out a book and he said, this is my new book. That's on press. This is a press proof of the book, laid it down. And the name of this book is the wanderer. And on the cover of the book was a large monarch butterfly. And the book's premise was basically through the eyes of this monarch butterfly on the Appalachian Trail. And we just sat there. I mean, I had goosebumps and I was just, oh my God. It was like, you know, I kept asking, you got to be careful what you ask for because I kept wanting little signs that I'm supposed to be doing this thing. It's like, it happened daily. And Hey, Wanderer, wanderer, that's not a little sign. That's a huge sign that just (laughs) smacks you over the head. Holy smokes. It was pretty intense. So, um, and that was exciting. And then through him, he actually is, they're making a movie on his book now. And uh, he actually asked if I would be in it as some some part on there. So I thought, I'd love to be in it. I don't want to talk, but I would actually, just to be a part of his little journey for sure. And I think the third one, this one, I'm probably over the tears now, but you meet people along the way that in your normal life, you would never be friends with these people. And so it was kickoff day on the Appalachian Trail in March. And I had already interviewed a bunch of people and I was kind of done. I was getting ready to just pack up and just go home. And this really this guy should, I don't know how to describe him. He's kind of a, a young Jack Nicholson, you know, cause he kind of had that voice and this intensity and he had this gigantic pit bull with scars on him to find out he's a flip flopper. So he had, he had just hiked from Maine to Georgia. Wow. And took a week off and was turning around and he's heading back to Maine. And so I, I interrupted his, he was heading up the trail and I got in his way. It's like, Hey, so what are you doing? You know, it's, what do you say? Cause he, he actually scared the crap out of me. He just <laughs> had this look that it's like, I would never talk to this guy. That and a scarred pit bull. That'll do it. 
The pit bull was, yeah. So his name was, the trail name was uh, Pony Keg. And I forgot, I forget the dog's name, but the dog was pretty well known out there. But he's one of those guys that was really into hiking by himself. He, you know, when you hike the Appalachian Trail and you go Georgia to Maine, what I learned is that you normally, it's a very social thing. You're in bubbles all the time. So you're always with a lot of people. When you hike from Maine to Georgia, you're usually alone you know, cause a lot of people don't do that trip, that direction anyway. So he started, he told me some stories. He goes, yeah, I'm out here. My dad died and I just needed to clear my head. And so he, that's pretty vague, but that's kind of what he told me. But we talked for a little bit and I really liked him. There's something that really drew me to this guy. And so we kept in contact and he would send me videos. He was in the Smokies and it's snowing and he sent me pictures of the snow and him walking through there. And so I told him, I'd asked him, are you by chance going to be at the trail days celebration in Damascus? And he goes, no, I'm already past that. He, I mean, he passed, he goes, I was past Damascus maybe three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. I would have hoped to see you there because I was going to be out there and I show up and he, he's there. He came back to talk to me. Wow. He itched a ride back. And he was with a girl named Mooney who got her name from hanging a BA at the moon, which mm-hmm. was hysterical. And they became really close and she was really special, but he gave me time for another interview and he actually really opened up and told me that the true reason why he's out there. And that was, he was trying to commit suicide before he did it. His dad died. His mom died of um, drugs he was living in Georgia as a mushroom farmer mm-hmm. and um, he was selling drugs. I'm assuming he did drugs. I, you know, there's a lot of things you don't want to ask, right? but he was so cool. And this guy, we just, you just know it when you meet somebody that there's just a, you know, the dude chemistry. It's like, we just, he knew that I wasn't there to, um, not even sure what the word would be, but I, I didn't want to bastardize his story. I was genuinely more concerned and more curious about who are you? What are you doing? What are you running from? And so he got into some pretty deep things with me Mm -hmm. and then, um, and then off he went and I didn't know that I'd talk to him again, but he had, he called me and he called me to tell me that he made it, I believe to Pennsylvania and decided he was done and that his, the trail saved his life and that I am moving from Georgia and I'm going to go be with family in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so I said, that is the coolest thing. And he goes, well, maybe, you know, if I get settled, maybe I'll call you and I'll tell you more stuff and I'll, so I get a call from him saying I'm in Colorado and I want to tell you my story. And I flew out there and we met at a park in just outside of Denver. And Oh my God, he, his journey was so intense, but the trust that he gained in me just boggled my mind. I didn't feel adequate for that. And about three weeks ago, I got a phone call and it was from the girl Mooney 
and apparently they had been dating and she said that after the um, Appalachian Trail, they kept in touch and then they kept hiking in Arizona. They were, he just couldn't get enough of hiking, but she called to tell me that he's, he died. Oh. And I'm like, no. And she was originally calling because she was asking if, if I could share any of the footage that I had of him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was digging through the footage that I realized I had like two and a half hours of interviews of this guy. Mm-hmm. And I went ahead and put it, I just kind of did a quick edit and gave them all the footage. And just watching his transformation was absolutely beautiful because he went from this edgy guy in search of something to physically, literally saying the trail saved my life. And all that she could tell me on the phone was that he, he could not have been happier. And the thing that really, I just broke down she goes, he did not want to meet a lot of people out there. And she goes, there was something about you. And he talked about me a few times that he really, that he liked me. He trusted me Mm -hmm. and he just wanted to share that stuff with me. And I'm like, holy shit. I mean, you know, that alone made my entire adventure being out there worth it. Just Mm -hmm. meeting this one guy and, and the fact that he opened up and told me his story and let me be a part of it. That was pretty intense. That sounds powerful. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, happy that you're able to kind of pull that footage together and share that with his family. But uh, what a tragedy to, to, use, to, to lose him. That's, uh, that's tough. Yeah, it was. Okay, so you've really brought us up here. Yeah, sorry about that. That's well, a, you know, it, I no, guess it's, I it's, it's, it, I'm glad you shared it. That's something that had to be shared. And I'm, I'm glad that you did. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. It's that. tough to segue from that, though. So I, I don't want to. I don't want to be glib. I don't want to make light. Uh, that is. Well, let me end it with one other thing. There was okay. one kid that it's actually in one of my. He's in the. I did a ten-minute um, teaser trailer for one of the. I was applying for some grants, and they wanted the Sundance wanted a ten-minute sample, and so I put together the sample. And one was this kid. I think he, he just graduated high school. So he, I guess he's 1920. It was that right after high school, but he was bullied his entire life. He was about 320 pounds. And I said, so why are you out here hiking? This is, he hadn't even, he didn't have a trail name yet. And I'm like, why are you hiking? Why are you doing this? He goes, because I've been bullied my entire life and I'm going to lose a hundred pounds. So he was out there to lose a hundred pounds. And the thing that made me so sad about that is he didn't even make it past the Smokies because most people don't. That's usually where you end up stopping. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you meet these people that they're just to be solo and to be able to, to dig deep into your own heart. You know, that's what these people are doing. And so it's like, at first I was bummed that he didn't make it past the Smokies. And then I thought, hell, this guy did more than most people would ever do. Mm -hmm. I mean, to go that far, to make it to the Smokies, to even buy a backpack and get your ass out there. Right. You know, so I'm hoping he's healthy. I, again, I didn't even get his, I had his first name. I think it was like George, but that's it. I, I, and I've tried to reach out to him and through one random email, but no response. So anyway, but it, it's, you just meet some of the most fascinating people out there. It, yeah. Trail mix sounds awesome. I cannot wait for it to come out and uh, be able to watch that and see these characters. Um, will Pony Boy make an appearance? Will he, will he be a part of the, the film? 
Pony Keg is. I, pony Keg. Pony Keg. Yeah, no, Pony no, Keg. Yeah. He's, he has to be a part of it. You know, honestly, the craziest thing is after all, I put all that footage together, I thought he could almost be his own little piece. You know, I wish I had more of his clips, mm-hmm. like him telling his story out on the trail, but um, he's going to be in it. It's going to be a very, you know, the question then is, do I keep, I was going to say, do I keep things personal and private? But he kept saying, I want everybody to hear my story. In fact, when the last time I met him in Colorado, this had never happened to me before. I finished his interview. We're sitting on a park bench and he stopped and looked and he had a buddy there with him. He goes, give that guy the camera. I said, okay, here. And he goes, it's my turn to ask you a question. And he just looked at me, he goes, why are you here? <laughs> Good question. You know, it was like, so anyway, that we did that. And it was, nobody had ever asked me that question. And I think it was almost, that was a turning point for me. It's like, really, what is the story? You know, what is, what, why am I out here? Cause I'm not here to do a YouTube video and saying, Hey, you finished the trail. How many miles did you, how many pairs of shoes did you go through? Right. You know, this was really about transformation, but it could not be just about transformation. It had to be why. And mm-hmm. so that's, I met some fascinating people that were not hikers that led me down that path. So that's going to be the fun part. Outstanding. Can't wait to see it. Like I said, Hey, I understand that you have a new passion. Um, are you, are you like me? Are you like, are you a, a serial hobbyist? You pick up uh, new hobbies and, and kind of pursue them for a while. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I go, I go pretty deep until uh, I, I started. Oh, okay, here's, so I, I found these wooden coffee mugs too. Oh, that's thought, right. That's right. These are so cool. It's like, where do I, I couldn't find anybody to make me mugs. I found a company that made them and it's like, well, they make them by mill work. And I started digging deep and all these craftsmen guys in, in England hand carve these things, no power tools. It's like they find a, a log and they get a branch or a, they get their ax and they create a wedge out of that branch. And then they, get their spoon carving tools and they do spoons and coffee mugs. So I took on that as a passion. And I do that actually on the road is um, I've got some wood in my carving tools. So now I'm making spoons and wooden coffee mugs. Nice. We need some pictures of that for social media. Okay. I'll send you a picture. I get some of that. <laughs> okay. uh, I was, I was actually referring to your new passion of overlanding. Yeah. What's that That's, about? I think it's a sickness actually. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the excuse I've got, so my mom passed away this past April, so four months ago. Yeah, and that's the second time you said it, and I apologize. I didn't know my condolences the first oh, time you said you. it, but you were, you no, were it, a pretty good clip there. But uh, sorry to hear about that. It it was it was pretty harsh, and it's still yeah. It's hard to lose anybody, but she was probably my best friend. So mm-hmm. it's tough. So I I we decided since we were from California that we were going to do a celebration of life at my aunt's house. So uh, at Nancy's and, you know, and Dan was there and all the cousins and we just wanted to make a real special. That's Chopper. Chopper. That's Chopper and Mrs. Chopper. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Mrs. Chopper, Mrs. Chops. And so I decided, you know what? My mom's dream was always to see the United States. She had never been anywhere. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't do this. And I thought, 
I am going to take her ashes across the country. And then I thought, well, I've got a, an SUV. I've got a, an SUV that it's, it's a nice car. And I felt like an idiot when I pull up in a KOA campsite in it with a rooftop tent. I just felt like, you know, this didn't feel right. And so I thought, well, I got to get a more of a, an off-road vehicle to do this. And so I started digging in and I used to have a 1997 Toyota Land Cruiser and I bought brand new and I sold it maybe five years ago because my dream was to have a Range Rover. I just had to have a Range Rover. Mm-hmm. Got a Range Rover. And it's like, I just want my Land Cruiser back. And um, so for years I've regretted getting rid of that thing. And so I decided I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get myself another 1997 Land Cruiser, which I did. And decided, well, if I'm going to do this, I've got to get the rooftop tent on top because I'm going to sleep on top of this thing. And then I ended up adding a drawer system in there. I was watching all these YouTube videos of how people are kind of living on their truck. And it's like, oh, it's called overlanding where instead of just going to a campsite, you kind of find your own campsite. You four wheel drive up a mountain, you can go on federal land and not pay anything. And you, it's you know, narrow paths of gravel and rocks and so I, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to get into overlanding now, you know, so this is like my new thing. And mm-hmm. so I kind of went nuts and I ended up. Took a deep dive into overlanding, I took, didn't you? I, I just, I don't do things <laughs> like, and my wife is like, you are kidding me. And uh, I remember when I took her for, when I got the car, I drove her to the drive and I was all excited. What do you think? She goes, you paid how much for this thing? <laughs> it's like, you don't get it. These things are worth four times more than I paid, you know? And um, So anyway, I got like a drawer system that pulls out. I thought, okay, I'm going to have clothes in there and I'll be able to, I really want to be able to live in this thing if I have to. Then I got a Dometic fridge freezer that, you know, I can take all my food and have it plugged in. Well, then it's like, well, the, uh, Goal zero, my Yeti thousand watt battery thing died every time I'd plug this thing in. So I'd have to go to KOA sites to charge it back up. And I thought, well, screw that. Then I'll get a solar panel on top and I'll figure out how to get that working. So it's been once and the car now is weighing so much that it was, I had the old suspension and the old tires on there. So it was like the front end was like dropping down like an old dog. And so of course I had to get a lift kit on there and then I had to get the bigger tires of course. Yeah. And I got the winch and I got a, so yeah, now I'm, I even just had an, a compressor put into the engine compartment because you got to let down your air and your tires if you're on soft, you know, on sand and softer mud and that kind of thing and be able to pump back up if you need to. So now something that's experienced this much love and attention, it's got to have a name, right? You it's do- called moose. Yeah. It's moose. Called- okay. Yeah. Moose. You yeah, my say- Instagram is my Instagram is moose bound. And so I took Moose with my mom's ashes and we traveled, we went 6,200 miles. Wow. This was in May. So Uh the month after she died and I came back changed. I'm like, okay, this is fun. And um, so my mechanic, so I live in Tennessee, but my mechanic who works only on 97 Land Cruisers is in Missouri. So it's a five and a half hour drive. So I go out there, stay at a holiday inn as he does all this work in my car. It's kind that's of ridiculous. A, that's a pretty specific niche. 97 yeah. Land Cruiser mechanic. Yeah. It's that's not just mechanic, in. but it's overlanding. So he, yeah. I mean, he, it's a lot of the things are, they're on there from South Africa. I mean, we're, I'm no longer cooking on a Coleman stove. I cook on a thing called a Scottle, 
which is basically like a wok with a propane tank under it. Uh-huh. So you can cook your steak and your rice, everything at one time and even eat off it. You don't have to deal with pots and pans. And so, yeah, so that's kind of my new life. Hey, we need pictures of Moose, uh, the Scottle, maybe even uh, your 97 Land Rover mechanic oh, in Missouri. I'll do it. I'll, do it. I'll send okay. you a <laughs> Very good. Hey, Glenn, you know where we are right now? I think I have an idea, yeah. Yeah, we're at the pro tip inside of the week time. What, <laughs> uh, what do you have to share with our listeners that's going to make their adventure uh, that much better next time? You know what? I actually, when you first mentioned that, I had a few things. It could, oh my God. I, so number one, the most basic thing, which has been my biggest mistake is do not overpack. Um, and with that said, the, the thing that I learned, the, that was the most important lesson to me because I've now hiked all four seasons is always dress for cold, meaning basically underdress because when you hike, you are going to warm up. And so I started hiking in um, really thin shirts instead of, because when you start wearing heavy jackets, you are going to get sweaty. And in the South, where you got the Appalachian Trail, there's more humidity out here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you are just like a sponge inside of there. So I was always taught, it's kind of like snow skiing. You don't need to dress in the big, thick jacket, just you're going to heat up. And um, so I would say dress lighter. You know, that was a big thing that I learned and, and it worked. And the other thing is, and I'm not sure the PCT, cause I've seen some pretty horrific water sources when there's like minimal water with a lot of insects and skeeters. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of people that I met on the Appalachian trail, they said they don't even filter their water. And um, like everybody was, cause it's coming out of the mountains and Springs. And so I'm like, that could have saved me a lot. I had so many filters with me. I had so much stuff. I just So I'm going to give you kudos for the first tip. I'm not so sure about that second tip. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. If you're not going to filter, you need to make sure you know what's upstream of you. I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, I probably won't stop filtering. especially. <laughs> and I am that person, though, that if it is, I could be dying of thirst. And when I, I saw a couple mud puddles full of mosquitoes and just just things floating i will not i will i will probably die before i drink that i don't yeah, care what i filter through it you'll be interested to know that we were doing a section of the john muir trail with chopper and his son i'll call him little chopper also known as big e he <laughs> uh he decided he was gonna he was gonna take a uh fill up his his jug from the running stream and he filled that up and took a big swig out of it and spit out a big daddy long leg type insect. It was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there is some nasty stuff out there for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Now you did the mirror, but like, I, I would love to challenge myself at one point and do the Mojave desert on the PCT. Cause even Cheryl Strayed, when she started, she started mid Mojave desert, right. went to the Sierras. Yeah. I'd kind of like to start at the bottom and kind of, do just experience the desert. I know it's harder than hell, but yeah, the, the summer of 2015, when we hiked the Southern half of the John Muir trail, we came across, uh, two hikers, two PC tier, two PC tiers, um, who <laughs> were going northbound. They were naps and crumbs with their trail names. And, 
um, Naps, I believe was the young lady's name, said that during the hike across the desert out of Mexico, out of Campo, you know, through the, through the desert, she said that first 600 miles, all she would do is hike and cry, hike and cry. So it didn't sound that appealing to me. <laughs> no, I, and I get it, man. That's, I, but see, that's the thing with the, with the PCT. I believe I would, most people would probably cry in the beginning. You know, you're on a lot of flat land. You're not dealing with the ups and downs. So that's really more of a test of endurance of just carrying your pack. And carrying a lot of water. Carrying a lot of water. And water, oh my God, that alone. I overpack water every time. I figured, and I go through it fast. So I've got a, is it four liter water plus two water containers? Yeah. Well, there's an easy way to get rid of water, right? I mean, you can, you can drink it or let it out or absolutely but if you you overpack the big puffy jackets or the big thick uh, clothing you know that's tough to get rid of that so i I really like that tip don't overpack and don't take a drone out there because uh i saw one guy he got a twenty thousand dollar fine so here the funny thing is when i got the the permit through the national forest service i mean they saw everything i was doing they saw my website and what i was doing but they didn't see the trailer that had drone footage in it. Cause I had already been filming with my drone. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they saw that, I got an addendum to my permit and it said no drone footage. Oh. And I kept thinking, well, that sucks because well, how do other people get drone footage? You know, how do I get all these shots? So I had to, a lot of my drone footage was in North Carolina over the range of mountains near my cabin where there's no other cabins. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the Appalachian trail. Because, you know, but the, but I do, I have a good share of AT aerial footage in there. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rebel. Nice. Kind of yep. Edge. yep. <laughs> All right. Don't overpack. Great tip. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 36 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Glenn and I want to thank him for joining us this week. Glenn, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Thank you. Well, the website for the film is trail mix dot film www.trailmix.film uh there is a instagram page i believe it's trailmix film is the instagram mm-hmm. the uh, moose bound is my instagram for this journey and the past journey and those there's some pictures of the suv on there too and um so that's the main stuff yeah okay great Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakinmuir at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be really helpful if you take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Right, Glenn? That's right. <laughs> Please, yeah. I don't want to cry again. <laughs> That's a wrap from the John Muir studio. Any final thoughts, Glenn? No, just thanks for having me, Doc. It was, that was a blast. Absolutely. Had a great time. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've got a 75-pound pack and you're in the middle of nowhere and you want to go home. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.
Mondays. Head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.